If you're not unlocking the full value of your SaaS, what are you doing? There is no denying it. SaaS is mission critical to your company's growth and success. And as the number two operating expense for most organizations, it's your biggest opportunity to save money and drive efficiency. The time is now to do something about it. Please take this as your personal invitation to join me and your fellow IT, SAM, finance, and procurement leaders at SASME on May 16th, 2023. SASME is the industry's only dedicated SaaS management event where you can sharpen your skills, hear from your peers, and learn how to unlock value and responsible business growth through smarter SaaS management. It's virtual, it's free, and it's going to knock your socks off. Register today at sasme.com. That's S-A-A-S me.com. It's time to get your sassing gear. Are you with me? I've approved applications that have a very weak security posture. And people look at me and they're like, why? Why would you do that? You know? And my answer is if you take a risk-based approach and the data that you're putting in there, you know, is some form information for some marketing events right? There's nothing specific in there that you would be really concerned about. And I'm not going to hold them to the same standards that I'm going to hold someone like, you know, a cloud provider. Hello, hello, and welcome to SaaS Me Unfiltered, the SaaS management podcast. The show with give it to you straight, real life advice from pros knee deep in SaaS every single day. SaaS management superheroes just like you. Welcome to another episode of SaaS Me Unfiltered. I'm Corey Wheeler, co-founder and chief customer officer here at Zylo. Today, we're back with our friend and the chief information security officer at DeepWatch, David Stoichescu. There's a lot to discuss when it comes to SaaS risks, so I'm really excited to continue our conversation. Last time, we covered a lot of ground on visibility and why it's so important to a security program, as well as insight into your role in the team at DeepWatch, David. And we left off talking about when things go off the rails or those, as we like to call them, oh shit moments. So David, you mentioned something that we talk about with our customers often. It's that oh shit moment where you get a call from the FBI saying they found your data on the web. That's a really great example of a primary level of risk. But I want to dig in deeper. Maybe speak to a little bit of the level of importance you place on apps versus apps plumbed into your own stack, into DeepWatch's stack today. Do you have another level and layer of security that you apply to those? And how do you stay on top of the differentiation between the 15th project management app that your company is using or that next application that's actually plumbed into your own product? I'm really glad you brought this up because listen, at the end of the day, you can't apply the same level of focus to every single application and widget that exists out there. So you got to take a risk-based approach. So from that lens, I'm looking at our core applications that we use to deliver our service, and I place the most emphasis on those. I make sure that we're completely dialed in because they're the biggest targets. It's where you know most of our critical data is. Now, if we had our project management application go bust, you know they get they have some sort of breach or ransomware thing. Is it the worst thing in the world? Like, yeah, like it's bad. 
there's going to be a lot of damage control. There's going to be a lot of, hey, was our data included in that? It is a very big deal. Is it going to be as big a deal as a as a core application such as you know our cloud hosting company? No. So the level of effort and emphasis we put on the application directly correlates to the level of risk that the data within that application represents to us and to our customers. So that's how we look at it. I've said this to some folks and they've been surprised by I've been surprised by their reaction and maybe vice versa. But I've said before, I've approved applications that have a very weak security posture. And people look at me and they're like, why? Why would you do that? And my answer is, if you take a risk-based approach and the data that you're putting in there, you know, some form information for some marketing events, right? There's nothing specific in there that you would be really concerned about. And I'm not going to hold them to the same standards that I'm going to hold someone like a cloud provider. How do you run that investigation? And to set that up, it begins with visibility, right? You need to know the applications that are in use across the business. Then you've got to understand exactly what you just went through. What data are we storing in there? Is that just direct communication? You've got a team that's interfacing with each functional stakeholder across the company. Assuming that's it, what are those first components that you're tracking when you're looking to understand the security profile for each application? I'm just going to tell you right now that without some sort of mechanism to identify shadow IT spend, there is no way you will know where all of your data lives. It's just not possible. So that being said, if you go through the procurement process, which is the correct way to acquire any piece of technology, there's a process of steps that are followed. And you know we get the security organization gets engaged as a part of that process. And we ask questions, you know, what is this for? What is the, the business purpose? You know, what customer data will you be putting in there? And then we do an assessment of that organization and we do an assessment of the product itself. So that's how we we get it into our system and we catalog it and we give it a thumbs up or we give it a thumbs down or sometimes we'll give it a conditional thumbs up, right? Conditional thumbs up are actually a lot harder because if you give it a condition, that means that my team has to follow through on that condition throughout the relationship with that vendor, which is difficult to do if you don't have some sort of automation in place. So that's one way. Now, what's really great, and you know, this happened even when I thought that I had things under control, you know, back in the day, you implement or I implemented the the Xylo platform. I was like, oh wow, I actually didn't really know about these several applications, even when it was like 30, 40 employees. So it really kind of blew my mind, right? And I did a retroactive right process or third-party review with that vendor. And it is harder because they already have your business. So they don't have a whole lot of incentive to answer all the questions and go through that process. And maybe we can do a whole other conversation around what that review should look like. So you make it, you know, very low friction for vendors so that you actually do get a response from them. But yeah, doing doing the retroactive and then, you know, putting them in a system. And then again, based on the risk associated with with that data when that particular vendor, that dictates how often we go back to reassess. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And what you're kind of getting into right now is talking about the concepts of compliance and governance and compliance with process, governance around, you know, kind of how you operate internally. Let's dig into that. What does that mean to you at DeepWatch when you think about SaaS, compliance and governance? I think those two things are going to be intermingled. From a compliance perspective, we have to have visibility into all of our applications and 
you know, from an asset inventory perspective, but also from a data flow uh, perspective, from a governance perspective, you know, we're really going to start to focus on are we following the policies and the processes that we've put in place, whether that's from a spend control perspective or from a um, automation perspective or, you know, from the perspective of ensuring that we're doing the right thing for the business. And one of the things that, for instance, Zylo has helped me with, you know, quite a bit in the past is getting in visibility into duplicative spend. I think you you kind of touched on this. It's like how many project management applications do you do you really need? Really need, yes. <laughs> so there's a bunch of them out there. And there's a lot to be said, like, hey, if we've made an investment in whatever application and we've given this to every single employee, like, why are we purchasing this other thing for starters? It's creating a lot of confusion and chaos within the organization, right? It's wasting a lot of money and you're widening your risk aperture because you're putting that data in multiple systems. Yeah, most CIOs will even say it's just creating inefficiency. You're onboarding new teams on new products. You don't have a central way to support those. And you're creating a lot of inefficiency or lack of productivity across the organization, which I think really resonates. I think as you serve the organization, right? And as we think about SaaS management internally, InfoSec is a key part of that overall strategy for SaaS management. It's definitely a team sport. Talk about your role and your function uh, in that vein at DeepWatch. I think you've previously talked about the office of the COO and finance, how you've worked with them. But talk about that team sport dynamic. Who do you serve and what are the dependencies and who are the peers and groups that you've got to be working with to deliver this all at scale? I think that as an executive at any organization, I think even more so at smaller organizations, you can't just put on your blinders and just say, hey, listen, this is my role. This is what I'm doing. And these are the problems that I'm going to solve. In my role, I focus and I spend time on issues that might be in the finance organization, that might be in the people organization, that might be in the COO or the CTO organization, the CMO organization or the CRO organization. As a matter of fact, at DeepWatch, I've touched on supporting every single executive leader. And I think that a lot of that has come from just the experience that I've had and the things that I've done. So it's my job and it's it's my duty as somebody who is you know responsible for the direction of the organization and setting that pace and setting that tone to look at all of it, right? And I think that SaaS spend touches on governance, right? IT governance, it touches on security, it touches on risk, but it also touches on finance. But it also touches on operations. So it's really just woven into every single part of the business. And it's it absolutely is a team sport. How do you evolve your practice internally and talk about from your 30-person company experience to be able to deliver these operations at scale? How are you able to do that within that team sport kind of scenario? So what I will say is that Within the security and within the IT organization, we have a particular set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds ominous. Right. And and those skills really kind of are manifested in the ability to kind of think very creatively about how to solve problems, how to make them scale. I mean, if you think about it, like the various programs that we have and uh, the IT technology and, and this, that and the other, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that it scales out and 
there's a lot of automation and kind of thought that goes into what does the experience look like? What are our users going to going to run into? What are some of the potential problems? How do we iterate on this? What I found is that with other folks throughout the executive team, they don't necessarily think that way, right? They've got different types of problems. And what's really exciting for me is to come to them with a different set of skills and capabilities and say, hey, listen, have you thought about it like this, right? What if we turned it sideways and upside down? And what if we did this? And what if we did that? And I think that's what creates that relationship. And then now you've got the IT and security organization building trust with the people organization, with your CFO or, you know, with sales or or with marketing. You know, that's the team player component. That's also how you build trust. And I think if I kind of take it down even one step further, one of the things that I talk to my my staff about constantly is every time we build something, we're not done. We just did version one. And now we're going to come back and we're going to do it again. So it's very common within my my organization to see us sometimes revise things, sometimes completely tear them out and say, well, we found a better way of doing it. That's more efficient and perhaps more cost effective for the business. That resonates. And I think you've spoken a lot to those best practices, those things that make InfoSec and your role really successful. And maybe this is just a derivative of that. But where do you see organizations making those mistakes, getting tripped up within the InfoSec world when it comes to software as a service, tooling in in general? What are some of those missteps you've seen or learned from? The thing that I see most often, frankly, Corey, is folks just not paying attention to to SaaS at all. And I think this is a bigger problem in organizations that have been around for the past 20 years or so. You know, they've been in business for a while. Maybe they were an on-prem environment and they had co-locations and data centers and they're on their journey to maybe hybrid cloud or moving uh, completely to the cloud. Maybe they're exploring SaaS applications So that muscle just isn't there. Like it just doesn't exist. So I've seen just a a broad spectrum anywhere from not knowing what to do whatsoever and having no visibility into what's going on to a very small number of organizations that actually have some semblance of, of, hey, what applications do we have and where's our data? Never mind the spend, right? I think as, as soon as you tack on the, the spend, it makes solving the problem through something like Xylo a no-brainer. Because you can just look at that number simply and just say, well, if you look at, at the math you know, like this, it, it's, this thing will pay for itself in a month. Yeah, it's the large shift from on-prem to the cloud, as you, as you talk about, that distributed nature of SaaS now. Nobody owns it. IT does not own SaaS. They own all the on-prem deployments, the hosting, provisioning, deprovisioning. They've got the, the server closet they're, that they're maintaining 20 years ago. So security was a completely different ball game. And it's that lack of ownership. The CIO will very clearly say, we don't own software throughout the company. We own the core applications. We own the birthright apps. We'll get you spun up on your single sign-on solution. You'll get email. You'll get your CRM, your HR system. But there is no clear ownership across the, every single organization. So in that vein, 
how do you, and it's probably through those governance and those processes that have been set up, but you've got to get your arms around a centralized view and a process that you're accountable to, which is much larger than just what IT owns today. So you've got to make sure that you're finding those shadow IT apps, that you know those one-off applications that R&D is putting information in that could be a risk. That's a difficult charge when you sit in a function that doesn't wholly own all of it today. So you've got to kind of be your ninja on the outside, really being able to rein all of that in, in conjunction with your IT folks as well. Is that a fair way to put it? I would say that that is fair. Part of the problem is in the question and and something that you said was, who owns it? I think that's a mistake. I think that's not the way that you should be looking at it. I think that the way we should be looking at applications and services is really from a data perspective, like forget the application, just look at the data, but then let's replace the word own to responsible. Who is responsible? And guess what? We're all responsible, right? And we have various levels of responsibility for those applications or that data that lives within those, within those applications. And again, I think the, the more, more you're going to see this in, in larger organizations, things are kind of siloed out and there is a lot of ownership and there's a lot of swim lanes and you know especially the larger the organization gets i don't think there's getting away from that and and i'm i'm certainly not naive to that i love to think that especially in the mid market to commercial space there is a sense of kind of responsibility rather than ownership and i would love to see this propagate to the enterprise space as well where cso's and cios work together Right. And they become, you know, I think disciples of data hygiene and data security, regardless of where it lives. And they create change agents within marketing, within finance, within sales. And they work very closely with those operations teams that are responsible for those applications. I don't see a lot of that today. Most CISOs that I interact with, and I think. I have a unique view, Corey, because I work for a security company. I've worked for security companies for the last, you know, 10 years now exclusively. And, you know, CISOs are our customers, right? So I have a lot of conversations with these folks. And a lot of times they're trying to get budget for endpoint, right? Or they're trying to figure out how to make sure that they have asset coverage, right? Throughout their environment, there are trying to make sure they've got vulnerability management at bay. And it's almost like, you know, (laughs) what you don't know, you just don't know. It's like out of sight, out of mind. And a lot of folks are unaware of, unaware and unfamiliar with where their data is, what that risk is to the business or to, to their customers. And they need to start taking some action to figure out how to wrangle that in. Last question before we jump into our fun follow-up. Give us a look into next year. What are your goals as you head into next year professionally? Maybe a peek into KPIs that are most important to you that you're tracking, but what do you view as next year's priorities? So I'm always in a state of building, just like the folks that are on my team and they've got various responsibilities. They are always looking to reinvent the work that they just did and and make it more efficient. So sometimes you do it every six months or or whatever the case might be. I think that you can't run a successful business without data. 
if you don't have any metrics, you can't do that. But you got to move past the traditional understanding of metrics. I think when I say metrics, pe- the first thing people think about are like graphs and numbers and like, hey, here's how many tickets have come into the queue. When I think about that, I say, okay, like, what are the things that I care about? And what are the things that I hold my team accountable to? And do they have the tools to also see how they're performing and what those things are that we care about? But I feel like where a lot of folks fall short is, you know, what does success look like for any data set, right? Because it's one thing to say we have the metrics, but it's a completely different thing to say, I know how to interpret those metrics and do something with them, right? I know how to tell a story. I know how to take us from where we are to where we'd like to be to achieve XYZ outcome. So when you say, hey, like, what are you looking for? What are you looking at doing, you know, in the next year? I want to start building that muscle and that skill set capability within every single person in my team. And while we've done a great job of implementing very, very strong programs, strong controls and, and processes and procedures, we've done great from a compliance perspective. Now I want to kind of change the game up a little bit and say, hey, listen, we're going to start focusing very heavily on maturity, but I want you guys to be uh, driving that, enabling you to to tell a story with with data and with metrics, enabling you to create the path as opposed to kind of continuing to come to your boss and say, hey, what's the next thing? So that's what I'm really stoked about. It's not a common skill set that you find in engineers or analysts. They're they're always kind of focusing on like, hey, what's the thing that's right in front of me? I'm trying to get them to think like, hey, what's the thing that's three, six, nine, 12 months? And if you're a director, you should be able to see 18 months away. And if you're a VP, you should be able to see 24, 36 months away and so on and so forth. And that's difficult to do. It's easier said than done. Much. Well, we're going to close this out with our favorite segment, the rapid fire segment. I'm going to throw a a few terms out there, maybe a thought provoking question. I'm looking for your hot take, your very quick response. Could be one word, could be a sentence, however you want to take it. Are you ready? I'm ready. You better be ready. Here we go. Security breach. Oh, shit. Let me expand on that a little bit. Who's the first person I got to call? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, That's great. Um, Shadow IT. Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> not good. Yeah. Well, not well. I didn't want to say this, but I was going to say, oh, I got that covered. But first thing that comes to mind is, you know, how did this get through the cracks? Yeah. I think the product led growth approach over the last five, 10 years has really driven so many new ways for employees to grow and leverage. But boy, I think about folks in your seat and it's just a huge concern. Okay. A couple fun ones here. It's the most important equipment or gear for my mountain biking. The most. God. Well, you can't get very far without a chain. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I'll get here. We go. A multi tool. You got to have a good multi tool on you. Absolutely. There you go. High speed auto racing. Boy, being a fan of that is super awesome. Tires versus brakes. Uh, I'm going to go with tires. I'm going to go with tires. Well, if you've got good brakes and bad tires, you're still not going to be able to stop. <laughs> True. That works. David, a heartfelt thank you for coming on the podcast today. Your insights around governance, compliance, the role that InfoSec plays are really advanced. You know, as I think about the customers that I've had the good fortune to work with on the security side, your thought processes around programmatic approaches to SaaS management from a, uh, an InfoSec eye have been progressive and ones that you've carried over 
from role to role. And it's been fun to build that with you. So thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future and we wish you the best. I appreciate that, Corey. And listen, the same work that I do internally within my organization of being a disciple and, and steward of data hygiene and, and good data security is something that I want to extend to folks outside of my organization into my network. So I'm very excited to, to do that with you today. And thank you for the opportunity. Great. Take care, David. Did you enjoy the episode? Pass it along to your friends. Subscribe to get notifications for the latest episode. Share your favorite takeaways and join the conversation on social media using hashtag SASMeUnfiltered. 